0: Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A., members FDIC. Spot Me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.
1: You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hula! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it, or what to do with it, or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret, but you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. Welcome! Before we start, I have an announcement. Gabby Dunn, me, has a Patreon. That's right, you can find merch, blogs about my life, my gender journey, home renovations, all kinds of bonus content, including podcast shoutouts on maybe both of my shows, Insta followbacks, and exclusive videos at patreon.com slash Dunn. Right now, there's a few essays up about my non-binary feelings, and a video about my very first gender-affirming plastic surgery, so please go check it out. I have a lot of opinions and chaos. A link to my brand new Patreon will be in the show notes. Now! Today's Bad With Money episode and the show's season 8 finale. Can you even believe we're at season 8? It is about the concept of financial feminism. Wait, don't go! I'm not here to gatekeep, gaslight, or girl boss. I'm not even a girl. I have a very complicated relationship to feminism. And I know that might be strange to hear, right? Because in 2014, 2015, 2014... When I started at media conglomerate YouTube cult Buzz, I marketed myself as a feminist. It wasn't conscious. I just so happened to say and do a lot of actions and care about a lot of causes that at the time were very zeitgeisty. And feminism, at least white cis feminism, was in the zeitgeist. Though obviously it was nothing new and uh, usually not so white. I was also young, and though I'd been vocal about social issues since I was about 13 years old, shout out to my middle school diary where I wrote multiple stressed out entries about the conflict in Darfur, I'd never before had a platform of willing listeners. It was usually just my like proud hippie parents. And now, all the viewers of that particular monster of a YouTube channel were seeing me as the feminist, at a time when a very narrow view of that word was totes popular. Or maybe it still is popular and it's just fallen out of favor with me as I've aged and become more educated about corporate feminism, which tends to do a lot of showing and shouting and not a lot of helping or listening. An example, a recent example. I hated the shirt that model Cara Delevingne wore to the Met Gala last week. It read, Peg the Patriarchy. It was supposed to be feminist and edgy, and it honestly bored me. It was just a series of words that sounded like someone listened to the audio of an episode of season one of Broad City and then translated that into Latin and then translated that into Afrikaans and then translated that back into English. The message was so garbled at this point. It just sure was there. It had all the words, but it felt like weirdly genitals and sexuality specific and like not really applicable in real life or not really what's needed? I'm kind of fascinated by the dichotomy between all the types of feminism, right? So, like, I identify as a leftist. I've spoken before about my, like, growing discomfort with mainstream depictions of feminism a la this Cara Delevingne shirt at the Met Gala. Like, am I crazy? <laughs> That's a rich person at a rich person event wearing a shirt about sexually assaulting people with penises. Like, am I nuts? So, when I hear financial feminism or fighting the patriarchy by making women rich, I roll my eyes. Even though I'm sure like this show could be categorized as fitting in with the genre. Whenever I go viral on TikTok, people always go, oh my god, is that that buzz feminist? I forgot about her, which thanks, and also not her. They them. But that's the type, right? A buzz feminist. It doesn't suit me, it doesn't fit me, that's not who I am, what I believe in, my politics, my affiliations online. I feel bored by existing within this flawed framework. Could one be both bored and exhausted by the same mischaracterization and lack of substantial activism like sigh but also yawn? The world of financial feminism is lucrative. Our first guest today, Tori Dunlap of Her First 100k, gets a lot of attention both negative and positive, on TikTok, for her commitment to fighting the patriarchy by making women rich, her own words. Tori is an incredible business person and a genius marketer, way better than me. We occupy the same space, sort of, but we're very different. Tori's work is centered around making marginalized people money, and my work is centered around TV and movies. I have this podcast, but my day job is TV writing." Tori's is her business, her first 100K, where she provides so many practical, useful, life-changing resources for marginalized people looking to thrive within capitalism. She's also richer than me, so maybe her way is better. Either way, we're different. I like Tori, and under capitalism, I think someone has to be doing the jobs that she's doing. Her explanations are usually extremely solid and well-meaning and easy to follow for beginners. Don't immediately write off Tori's advice because at the beginning of this episode we talk about how she had financially aware parents, the same way you wouldn't write me off for coming from a low-income background. There's enough room in money media for all kinds.
2: My name is Tori Dunlap. I'm the founder of Her First 100K and the host of the Financial Feminist Podcast, and I fight the patriarchy by making women rich. So I work as a money expert and educator around paying off debt, saving money, investing, starting businesses, and more.
1: So what is financial feminism?
2: Using a financial education, a financial foundation, as a form of protest against an unjust and equitable society. When I started discovering and researching and realizing in my own life that having a financial foundation meant having choices, leaving the toxic situation I didn't want to be in anymore, a job or a relationship, Mm -hmm. being able to quit my job to run my business, retiring early, having kids or not having kids, getting married because you want to and not because it's an economic decision. All of these things, I think, open up to you when you have money. When we get more money into more women's hands, the entire world starts to change. But really, when we get money into any marginalized group's hands, for me, that's what financial feminism is, is seeing that financial foundation of financial education as a radical form of protest in a society that doesn't want you to have money.
1: So you came out of college and you had like financially aware parents, which for me is like, what's that like? So so you have this background where you've like saved money for college because your parents knew to do that. And then is it sort of like you started learning about money after school as a way of like handling things yourself and then sort of realized that other people didn't have that same background? Like, is that kind of what happened in terms of wanting to educate other people?
2: Yeah. So I was lucky enough to have that financial education. And I didn't realize it was a privilege until I started having those conversations, until I realized, oh, this isn't the norm for everybody. Because you grow up and you're like, my childhood's completely normal. And of course, for me, it was like, oh, all these good things. These are completely normal. I graduated college in May of 2016. Trump got elected, of course, not soon after that. I just realized through the privilege of the financial education I had from my parents came a responsibility. I was the friend all my friends were coming to for advice and guidance, and so coming into adulthood, into womanhood in a very different America than I think we all expected, it was the realization that, yeah, we don't have any sort of equality until we have that financial equality, and I can do something about it. So I started the blog that later became Her First 100K in December of 2016.
1: What was the goal of Her First 100K?
2: Back in the day when I first started, I was 22 and I was like, I just want to write a blog about like 20 something life.
1: I did the same thing.
2: Cool. Yeah. How do I navigate career? How do I navigate travel and all of these things? And then again, doing more research, having more conversations, having like sexist, horrible things said to me at work or said to my friends and just realizing like, oh, I can't leave my job because I'm financially dependent on it. I started realizing all of my blog posts had something to do with money. So I'd go and travel, but talk about like how I negotiated our car rental down, or how I found this crazy flight deal, or again, for career, it was like how to level up your career in order to make more money, in order to have more options. And so through that research, through conversations, and through kind of the realization that this is what I wanted to talk about, her first 100K was kind of born. And my own origin story, I was trying to save $100,000 at 25. That was my first 100K. That was the origin story of the kind of rebrand. And I was successful. I saved my 100K. I was on Good Morning America. And then three weeks later, I quit my job to run my business full time. And this was late 2019, right before the pandemic hit.
1: How did you build the 100K?
2: Couple things. First thing I like to acknowledge right off the bat, my parents were able to financially contribute for college a little bit. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a check. That wasn't just take this money and go have fun. I was working three jobs while I was in school. I got like $80,000 in merit scholarships. Wow. But it is a privilege I love to acknowledge is that I definitely would not have hit 100K that fast if I had graduated with student debt. So that's the first thing. I started investing really early. I was 21, maybe 22 when I opened up my Roth IRA and started investing, tried to max that out every year. I was negotiating my salary every time I switched jobs. I was negotiating at least 10 to 15% for both raises and when I left jobs. And then I was really clear on prioritizing my spending. I made sure that I was only spending my money on things that I actually loved and things that were actually something that brought me joy as opposed to just feeling like, okay, I can blow my money on whatever I want. And that's part of what I teach my clients is like, you don't have to stop spending money. You just stop spending money on shit that you don't care about. And then her first 100K was the side hustle. So after taxes and expenses on my business, I got to save all of that. I got to save or invest everything that was coming through the business as well. So yeah, the joke was if I could hit the 100K before I turned 26, like the day before I turned 26, it still counted. So I hit it at like 25 years and three months.
1: Whoa, that's so young to realize all of that and start doing all of that. But I think like, so you're a little bit younger than me. And I think maybe like my generation was very much like, Go to college and you're going to be fine and don't ever think about it.
2: I'm technically a millennial. I was born in 94 and I think Gen Z is like 96, 97. You're probably right where where we, I think, had the realization of like student debt fucking sucks and maybe you didn't. Yeah.
1: So I want to break down like, because you have the business, so like. What exactly do you do? Like, how do you break down the day or the week? And you have employees. So, like, what do your employees do? We have a
2: team now. It'll be 10 by October. We're bringing on a COO, which is very exciting. The cool thing is that almost all of our employees are women. Over half of those women are women of color. It's just so cool that I am making more money than I ever have before and giving women jobs and helping other women mm-hmm. get financially educated. So if mm-hmm. you would have told me this was my life five years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, we have like eight streams of revenue at this point. I used to do a lot more coaching. I still do a little bit of one-on-one coaching, but I do less of that now. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more speaking, a lot more brand partnerships, more traditional through you know TikTok or Instagram, influencer marketing, but also you know spokesperson partnerships or affiliate partnerships. And then I speak at colleges, I speak at conferences or corporations, and uh, we have a podcast now that we launched in May as well. So yeah, there's a bunch of different things that we got going on. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy to think about the growth. In March of 2020, we had 30,000 followers. We have 2 million now. Just figuring out for me, not only, of course, like how do I manage the business? How do I manage the money that's coming in? Where do I invest that in the business in order for it to grow? How do we keep our values center to what we do? But also just me as an entrepreneur, like how do I take care of myself? How do I prioritize my mental health? How do I make sure that my team members feel good and that they feel supported? And how do I take breaks? How do I take rest for myself? And so If you're watching the video, you can see it in the back. I'm literally packing up my apartment to digital nomad for like (laughs) an indefinite amount of time. Oh, yeah.
1: You're traveling. Yeah. I'm
2: heading to Europe in like T minus like five days to write my book. (laughs) And that was like a huge test for me in setting boundaries. I was like, Mm -hmm. I am not doing any other work than write the book. So my team's running the business basically for two months while I'm out. And that's a little terrifying, of course, just like making sure all my ducks are in a row, but also just setting those boundaries of, yeah, we're not going to do season two of the podcast for a while. We're not going to take on new partnerships. We're not going to take on new interviews. And mm-hmm. I got to go write this book. And so like, that's been a really good and necessary and healthy task of setting boundaries and sticking to them. Yeah. These are all the things that you don't think about as you get started of like, okay, I have the business to manage, I have the people to manage, I have the money to mm-hmm. manage. Also, I have my own self to manage and make sure I'm taking care of myself, so.
1: Yeah. I mean, also I kind of want to get into like the public figure of it all too because <laughs> yeah. I would never want someone to do this to me, but I I looked at all your TikToks, I looked at comments and stuff, and it's so interesting to see like the different reactions and so like yes. You're like making money off of showing people how to make money and then they'll be like men who are like that's a scam
2: <laughs> the funny thing is the majority of our income doesn't come from individuals it comes from companies
1: right right but
2: yes the, I get that of like yeah she's a scam because she teaches people how to make money I'm like yeah the, there's there's this video going around right now that like oh I'm exposing her because everything that she says is easily googleable and I'm like you pay a nutritionist. That's Googleable. You pay a personal trainer. That's Googleable. Yeah. Right? You pay for the expertise or you pay for the escalator, not the stairs. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm the escalator. <laughs> I'm the person who's going to be able to get you there faster because I can guide you and I can give you those yeah. to do's as opposed to you like wildly slamming your keyboard going, how to money? I don't know. Right? It's all internalized misogyny, all of it. Elon Musk can breathe and we're like, oh my God, right? But a woman or a non-binary person or a person of color online mm-hmm. does something and gets so much criticism.
1: Yeah, it's just really interesting to see that reaction, of course. Well, you and I are different in the sense that, like, one, I think we might have differing approaches around capitalism. But also I was like, well, but Tori's richer than I am, one. And two, <laughs> like... you've you've sort of created a business around money that includes like resources and like scripts for negotiation and scripts for job interviews and stuff and classes. Right. My job is in television. Like I work in TV. (laughs) So like, how do you sort of square to like criticism of like, you're building a business like within a social justice framework?
2: That's a really, really good question. And something that I ask myself all the time. I don't love capitalism as we've built it. It's not helpful, yeah. right? It's not helpful. In theory, capitalism could be good, but it's just like religion. It's like, in theory, this is a good thing.
1: It depends on who the money goes to. It would be great right. if in capitalism, the money actually went to the worker, but it doesn't.
2: I am a quote-unquote recovering Catholic. And so for me, like that's a, <laughs> a great representation of like, in theory, right, love and belonging and social justice, mm-hmm. these are all good things, right? But you put them in the hands of flawed people, And you're just trying to make the best of it. And then also really flawed people who are making terrible decisions, obviously. So I don't know. It's something that I do struggle with because Mm -hmm. I don't love the system as it is. But I think the best way to change it is getting money into women's hands so we can change it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the interesting thing between a lot of people who are financial educators The Dave Ramseys, for example, and I'm very publicly outspoken about him, but like he does not acknowledge systemic oppression at all. For him, it's like the reason you're not rich is because you don't work hard enough. Yeah. And that's complete bullshit. It's not true. Right. But it's shame and judgmental. And it's also it does not acknowledge the fact that like women are going to live seven years longer than men do. So we have to manage our money differently and we're going to get Mm -hmm. paid less. Or if you are you know, a queer person, you're going to have to navigate a different financial system in a different environment Mm -hmm. than you are as, as a straight person. So I think that you have to couple it with nuance. It can't just be... Oh, here's the five steps to paying off debt. I have that. And I'm also over here being like, debt fucking sucks. And there's a trillion dollar student debt crisis. And why are women holding two thirds of that? Yeah. So I think that has to be coupled. So that's, for me, something that we're really intentional about doing. It's not just individual choices. Mm -hmm. Goals can only get you so far. It's also, how do we change the system that exists through, you know, voting, through protests, mm-hmm. through getting more money mm-hmm. so we can donate to the causes we want or to, you know, start the businesses that we want.
1: So what do your taxes look like? To be honest, I have blown
2: up so much so recently that I'm not entirely sure. Yeah scary I do know that in 2020 I had the largest tax bill I've ever had yeah I actually sent out a tweet and it was a joke of like I am a liberal socialist until those five minutes that I have to pay my taxes,
1: you know. I wrote about this in my book. My whole life, I would get a refund, mm. and then I, when I started making money, I almost, it almost didn't. I didn't remember that you had to pay because I was like, <laughs> "Oh, you get a right. refund." Like because I like never had any money my entire life, right? And so then when they were like, "Okay, you owe two thousand dollars," like the first time that happened, I was like, "What? What?" You know, I don't think people realize that you you tell them your gross income. But like the net is not that, and right. like I I saw in a comment you were like saying something about paying like thirty or forty percent in taxes, which is yeah. in, which is like as it should be at the number that you're at. But it's also so funny because Amazon pays zero.
2: <laughs> I as a small business woman run, obviously you know we're we're doing the best we can. But like I like to think we do better for
1: the world than Amazon does. Right, and I'm like. I pay more in taxes. And I'm sure a lot of people listening who are small business owners feel the same way, that they pay more in taxes than people who are billionaires. Yes. People who scoot around and try to put things in offshore accounts and whatever. And I am happy to pay my taxes. Of course. Me too. Love to pay taxes. Okay. So this is a question that people asked a lot on your TikTok comments, which was in what order should people pay off their debt?
2: It's all about your interest rate. It's all about the highest interest rate first. So if you have a credit card that's at 22% versus the student loan that's at 4%, pay off your credit card first because it's costing you more money, right? So being in debt at a higher interest rate is costing you more money. And when I work with clients, sometimes they're like, okay, I have $100 extra a month and I'll put $50 to that credit card and I'll put $50 to student loans. I would rather just you take that $100 and just Put it all towards your credit card rather than splitting it because you're going to see progress faster if you just focus on the one that's costing you the most money. Pay that down and then move on.
1: Can we talk about the other question that comes up, which is like, should I have an emergency fund or should I pay off my debt?
2: You always need an emergency fund. That is the hill I will die on is I don't care how much debt you have. I don't care how how much credit card debt you have or how many student loans you have. Like, I need you to have an emergency fund first for a couple of reasons. One, I don't want you going into debt trying to pay for an emergency or more debt, especially the expensive debt, which is credit cards. And the second thing, just from a mental health standpoint, it's really nice going to bed at night knowing you have something in the bank should something happen. A three month emergency fund and the fucking two year global pandemic is not going to get you far, but it is going to get you farther, right? This is an unprecedented event. And the, again, this is why we don't just need individual choices. We need policy changes. But, you know, I think that the pandemic has unfortunately served as a perfect example of the importance of an emergency fund, of the importance of having something in savings to extend your financial life as long as you can. So yeah, I'm emergency fund first. Always, always, always no exceptions.
1: Yeah. Everything that we've talked about, I'm like, you know what would solve this? Universal health care.
2: <laughs> totally, totally, totally. I remember uh, one of the videos actually that went viral on TikTok was me calling and negotiating a medical bill down. Yes, and literally in my caption, I was like, "Universal health care, please." Right. I'm like, this would not happen if. Yeah, they like. I went to the gynecologist, and they were like, "We're going to charge you this fee," and I'm like, "I get to go to the gynecologist as a routine." yearly visit. Why are you charging me $300? So I had to call and they coded it incorrectly, whatever whatever the fuck that means. And so then they had to, you know, like process it for 3 months and then maybe refund it. And they ended up refunding it. But yeah, the universal health care, please. Yeah. Really,
1: so that would be nice. That's a lot of the stuff that you talk about is these scripts, which was huge for bad with money in the beginning. I would air calls with the bank, I would air calls with student loans. So like you have scripts for like negotiating job offers, for rent, for bills, One thing that you said that I I wrote down was I keep track of my wins at work so I could go in and ask for a raise and hopefully get it, which like is interesting. Like that stuck out to me as like, you know, you write down everything that you did that was good, which I would never have thought of. And then be like, these are the things that are good that I did. Well,
2: because we forget, right? You get going in your daily life and you just forget that you did that. You led that project three months ago or, you know, your boss gave you the attaboy two weeks ago. You just forget. So, yeah, keep a list on your desktop. I like have a Google Doc and you can just keep a list there.
1: What is a script for negotiating like a job offer?
2: I'm just going to shamelessly plug. I have the whole thing in a in a course that mm-hmm. I do about negotiation. But the big thing is that you have to demonstrate your value mm-hmm. and you have to demonstrate your data. So when we're thinking about value, it's pretty obvious, right? But like, what value do you bring to this company or what value have you brought over the past year if you're negotiating for a raise? So you know, stories, statistics, you know, I saved the company this amount of money, I managed this amount of people, Mm -hmm. I took on this project and implemented it, right? Or I did all of these things at a previous job and these things or skills can help you at this Mm -hmm. current job or new job. So demonstrating your value is super important. The negotiation is obviously to get you more money, but the way you frame it is here's why giving me more money helps you more, Ah. right? Here's why I not only deserve more money because of all the things I did, but here's why me staying here or me joining your team. So pay me to make you more Mm -hmm. money. The other thing is the data, right? We all want a million dollars, but we can't waltz in and be like, I want a million dollars, right? Unless you have the data to back it up. Glassdoor pay scale are great places to start, but they're very two-dimensional, right? Because for me, like I, my previous life, I was a social media manager. And if I typed in social media manager in Seattle in Glassdoor, the skill range was so different. They don't know how long you went to school for, what certifications you have, maybe even not the city. So those are good places to start. But really, when you're doing your data research, talk to people. Talk to people you work with if you feel comfortable and you don't feel like that's going to ruffle any feathers. Mm -hmm. Talk to people at previous jobs. Ask people you know on LinkedIn or recruiters. Maybe you have friends who are recruiters. Like, if I was looking, what should I be getting paid? I would... Talk to a marketing friend and literally show them the job description and say, hey, based on what you know about me, what would you price this role at? That is going to be way more intentional in terms of research than just Mm -hmm. searching social media manager Seattle Washington on Glassdoor.
1: So we're going to close on investing, which I know is like kind of your bread and butter in some ways. I have been investing more And every company sucks. And so what? So we've talked about on this show a lot about impact investing, but like in my hyper fixation research that I've done, which spans, I mean, I spent like three months obsessed with disco and that's useless. And now, I mean, it's not useless. I might write a book. I don't know. But friends of mine have said, oh, you know, I'll have my money invested this way. And then I'll go to my accountant or my investment manager or whatever and be like, can we invest in like, good companies, and then the they'll sort of be like, yes, but you won't make as much money.
2: That is unfortunately correct. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the stock ticker off the top of my head. I'll try to find it for you and can put it in the show notes. There is one. I think it's minus fossil fuels. I want to say it's... Is it SPYX? I wish I knew the stock ticker. That's actually been proven to be actually more profitable than just the general S&P 500, which is... S&P 500 is the top 500 companies on the stock market. So that one in particular, I think, is a good example. But unfortunately, yes, the vast majority Of socially conscious investing or funds, socially conscious funds are underperforming compared to the regular funds. So that sucks. And only you as an individual can decide am I okay with me making less money that I could use potentially to change the world, right? Or to do good Mm. things with? There is no right answer. I
1: know, because then you're like, I'm like, okay, so now I'm just bolstering this place that it's like a net, it's like a a, a carbon neutral footprint. In a negative way.
2: The other thing, this is more of a theory I'm working with or or trying to figure out. It also feels, because a lot of these funds have Mm -hmm. higher fees, right? They're not just underperforming or less performing. They also have higher fees. And my, like, conspiracy theory is that they know that especially women right? again the altruistic the beautiful thing about you know women or people of color or people who are investing in these funds they're like okay but they don't know any better so we'll charge them higher fees right that's my other theory that I'm working with is it's like yeah. oh the people who are doing right by the world are the people we don't want to have money yes so we will charge them higher in fees because they don't know any better great they're doing the right thing but we're taking more of their money <sighs> This is this is the predicament I very rarely say this publicly because it is controversial there's no perfect solution solution for me I am more okay investing in the companies that might be shitty sometimes if it means that I get more money so I can go do things with the money I know when I get my money where it's going to go it might go sometimes in my bank account it's also going to go into my business that supports other women it's also going to get donated Mm -hmm. not everybody will agree with that decision but I would rather get in and sometimes invest in companies that I don't love and just the ultimate fuck you to them of like you don't want me to have this money this is not the person that you want as your stockholder. But I'm going to do it mm-hmm. and then I'm going to take that money and mm-hmm. use it for good. There's there's no perfect solution, of course. Cuz yeah. I, I don't love I don't love supporting, I don't know, BP, but like yeah. there's no perfect solution.
1: I'm on the I'm on a different train. Sure. It, it is really uh, dystopian and harrowing to be like, what are the stocks that are doing well? And then it'll be like like robotics for murder or like <laughs> <laughs> genome sequencing for scary. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. mm, I don't love this.
2: I want to be clear. I don't support or love those companies either. Like, I am not actively investing in in, murdering the (laughs) the pandas or something. No,
1: no, no. I know. I love that it's like best stocks and then number one will be like murder robots. you're like, oh, God. (laughs) Oh, I will. (sighs) Why? I'm curious to see how Gen Z and Zillennials take to revolution. Yeah. I went on a journey on this show of like, not knowing anything, and then all of a sudden being like, we got to burn down all the banks. Right. But I also want to have practical information on on this show. So it's kind of, it's an interesting, like, space to be in because they'll be like, yep. you know, I looked at your, the top podcast, right? And I think it doesn't get to a podcast hosted alone by a woman until, like, number 30, and that was you. There were other women hosts, but they always had co-hosts. Right. Which I'm super proud of that, by the way. And immediately then there's the comma, which is like, but
2: what the fuck? Yeah. Right? Where it's like, I'm super proud that we produced a show that has charted that high, that has had that much success, but also, like, Why the fuck am I the only person up here? Yeah, it was really wild. It's really wild. And this is why I love talking with you because you do challenge my perspective and I think it's beautiful. It's such a hard thing because I do want to say, fucking burn it down. Let's, let's fucking burn it down. But at an individual level, like I'm not going to burn the whole thing down myself. So it's like... To your point of like, yes, we talk about burning it down. We talk about all the shit that like is going on. Like, how can we, how can we change this? You also still at the day-to-day need to know how to credit card works. That's a problem. And you still day-to-day need to know, right, how to invest in a Roth IRA. Yeah. That's not going to change overnight. And I wish it would. And that's part of my work is like, we can't just talk about you making individual choices. We have to talk about changing the fucking system. Mm -hmm. But the changing the fucking system is going to take, Best case scenario, probably decades, right? Yeah. As opposed to... If that. If, if, if it that, happens. If it even changes, right? You and I will do our best effort to make sure it can change. But in the meantime, there are people who are trying to figure out how to navigate it. And mm-hmm. if I can be a small part in directing them, great. That's my job.
1: Amazing. Where can people find you and uh, they can find your show in the top 30 but where uh where can <laughs> i people- don't think anymore
2: but that's very kind thank yeah, you yeah
1: where can people find you and more about you you can
2: find me at her first hundred k on all the socials herfirst r s t one zero zero k and her first hundred k.com financial feminist is the podcast and i would love to have you come check it out first season one is all out so you can binge it if you want thank you so much thank you
1: talking to my pal Akila Hughes. Akila is a Jane of all trades who I've known in the creator space for like years and years, maybe almost a decade. She is someone with whom I don't always agree, but whose opinion I respect. I wanted to have her on as a black woman and a smart comedian and an all-around experienced internet persona to discuss her thoughts on financial feminism and the evolution of online and commercial feminism. Anyway, if even the title of this episode caused you to itch, let Akila and I soothe you with her brilliant thoughts. I
3: am Akela Hughes. I'm a writer, a comedian, a former internet person, still on the internet, but trying to leave desperately. Mm -hmm. I wrote a book called Obviously Stories from My Timeline, and I just left a wonderful job at Crooked Media hosting What a Day, the daily news podcast. So now I'm just uh, working on some other stuff.
1: Nice. We were both deep internet people. Mm -hmm. I think like we were coming up around a time where like feminism was a huge part of being an internet person. Yeah, How do you feel like your relationship to like the word feminist has sort of changed since we first hopped on this here internet?
3: You know, my feelings about it have maybe gone from like, I am excited to outwardly say that I am a feminist too. Huh, do I want to call that harassment into my life? (laughs) (laughs) Is my piece worth saying a word on the internet? Well, we'll figure it out. I still obviously believe that all people should have the same rights, and they should be really good, strong rights across the board, regardless of gender identity, or what you were born with, or any of that crap. I think that that should be a baseline. It's amazing that it's not a baseline. Yeah, (laughs) And so that's mostly I think where I have landed is like, we just entered a time when it is, it ain't safe to say that you, you believe that people should all have the same rights unless you want somebody to start screaming in your face.
1: I feel like it was very commodified at the beginning where there was like a lot of merch, like a lot of like, yeah,
3: the girl boss, yeah,
1: the girl boss sort of thing. I mean, I never fully got into it, but I was like kind of into it. And I've talked on my other podcasts about going from like a kill all men feminist to being sort of like, okay, well, I might not be a woman. There's some nuances happening. How do you feel like it's changed? Do you feel like there's also been a backlash on that kind of stuff?
3: Oh, totally. I think that like, to be completely blunt, I think the 2016 election and everything after that. You know, like, that song, Fight Song, (laughs) no offense to the woman who sings that song, but, like, when it comes on, I get hives. Like, I was trying to watch this show on Netflix yesterday. It's about, like, pop music, and I was just, like, looking at the episodes, and I'm like, okay, the one about autotune's probably interesting, and the final one was, like, a movement, and it was, like, I saw the pussy hats, and I was like, I know it's gonna be Fight Song, and I know that I literally can't even... Face it. Like it's so, it's, it makes me itchy. Yeah. It was a time when I think we thought the world was moving in a certain direction, especially I think being online and the way that these huge companies sort of rallied around the idea of like, yeah, no, we're going to keep doing progress. We like that. Let's keep progressing. And then it didn't happen. And it was like taunting us. Like, remember when you all thought you were so cute? We're like, fuck you, man. <laughs> we were trying
1: our best. <laughs> yeah. And even, like, I think the demise of the girl boss in the sense of, like, the Sofia Morosco like, um, WeWork falling apart and who, what, where falling apart and all these sort of... Man Repeller, Mm -hmm.
3: Bando, all of those places... Refinery 29.
1: Refinery 29. I mean, so basically there was like this era, I think, of like female CEOs where we felt white that- White
3: female Thank CEOs. you.
1: Thank you. Where we felt-
3: All of them are white. Where we
1: felt that like this was how you gain equality is by like also engaging in capitalism and also becoming sort of like a CEO. But then- just like male CEOs, bosses were bad, it turns out. Yeah. It- turns out money corrupts. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of all of that when that kind of stuff was crashing down?
3: I had two feelings about it. There's the one part of me that's like, man, it is a bummer that like just having fewer men
1: <laughs> in power is not enough. Yeah, I
3: know. Like that part of it was a little like, all right, that hypothesis, we'll go back to the drawing board. But the other part of it was like, Yeah. There was no way that this was going to be sustainable. Right. Like it was weird because all of these people suddenly had endless money to just sell us stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, right, we don't have endless money to buy yourself. You're not providing any service. Mm -hmm. So why are we holding you up? What are we getting for Mm -hmm. this? (laughs) It's like paying taxes. Like if the road is messed up, eventually I'm going to be mad at taxes. Mm -hmm. I get it. I think that across the board, If money is the thing that we decided we're doing, if we have to do capitalism, if we all just are stuck in that, there has to be a return at some point. Yeah. And it just seems like we're getting nothing for it. We're making three people rich. They don't care about their workers. (laughs) The clothes are made in like factories that are really unsafe. The clothes aren't even cute after a season.
1: Like, what are we doing? Who are we supporting and who's supporting us? The other guest on this episode is Tori Dunlap, who has a huge following. And uh, her thing is fighting the patriarchy by making women rich, which she and I absolutely get into. And I say into in a very uh, sweet way. (laughs) But what does that sound like to you as as a black woman?
3: For starters, it just it seems like not enough. You know, like I I come from a people who've been waiting on reparations for a really long time. And if I'm being completely honest, which I'd like to be, it's a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, go for it. It's like, you know, would the money be enough at this point? Would it? I don't think so. I don't think that it's a great equalizer necessarily. I think that, like, there needs to be a true investment and a changing of the guard. And when I say investment, I don't just mean monetary. It's like we have to catch people up. Like, if somebody gave me a million dollars today, like, tight, I got a lot of stuff to pay mm-hmm. off. <laughs> and my family's got a lot of stuff to pay off. That doesn't change, you know, the generational wealth problem. That doesn't change the fact that we don't own land and owning land costs more than a million dollars mm-hmm. now. Like, there's just, I think, too many levels for that to be enough. I guess I wonder what's next. Okay, so now there's eight people that you've made rich Mm -hmm. or more. Obviously, I'm not, you know, I'm not downplaying this person's work. Say this this person makes a million people rich. This country has 300 million people in Mm -hmm. it. Are the million people, people who have been historically disadvantaged? How are we moving, I guess, the conversation forward? And so I guess that, like, it's hard because I'm obviously in entertainment Mm -hmm. as well. I would like to have money. I would like to own property. I would like to have things. Within myself, these are competing ideas where it's like, yes, you should give everything away and you should like try to make it an equitable planet. But if I'm the only one doing that, I know. (laughs) If I'm the only one losing anything, I know. Like that's the problem is like if we can't all agree, and I think the pandemic has shown us that we
1: cannot all agree,
3: that I don't even know how you overcome these problems, quite frankly. I don't I don't know that there is like some easy solution or even a hard solution. I don't know that there's a solution.
1: Yeah, I've seen a lot of very interesting posts lately. I don't want to call out anyone's names, but I I do think that they are onto something, although where it's specifically black women. And then in this one instance, a black trans woman I saw who were posting lavish vacation, nice shoes, certain things. And then there was like largely white women being like, well, you're not talking about, you know, you're not being socialist. You're not talking about X, Y, and Z, whatever. And, and this particular black woman wrote like a notes app thing being like, fuck right off you know mm-hmm. i am <laughs> on vacation i'm i am allowed to to have this in a way mm-hmm. that is viewed as like empowering which then for me i go absolutely you know like for yeah, that person totally. i'm like for sure you <laughs> yeah, should like, you don't have to do anything make your money like yeah. you go for it So it's context. Totally.
3: Exactly. And if anything has been taught in the decades we've been on the internet is that you can't have nuance in a conversation Mm -hmm. online, like not in with a large audience. People don't want that. And so it's like, you can be like, like, you know, I'm like, Bernie, great. Like, let's fucking (laughs) give people healthcare. Like, let's like change the thing. But if I'm ever happy that I like have a car or I like live in a house with a pool which I don't own, yeah, 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 <laughs> so don't yeah, get yeah. mad at me. Or, you know, on the smallest level, the house that I rent has a kitchen island, and they're like, we're coming for you. I'm <laughs> like, okay, whatever. Like, whatever that level is that, like, starts to annoy people, I also do think of the context of my life. I'm like, I grew up super mm-hmm. poor. I remember, like, the day we got cable, it was, like, it was like we had won the lottery. Mm-hmm. Now we get to sit on the couch and watch more than three channels. And like, that was it. Like that was right. the beginning and end of what our, my summer meant. <laughs> like it wasn't I know, like we went a so it's like, It was no, like No, I know. Yeah, camp.
1: How do you feel like empowered? Is it like, I guess my brain is just like, is it feminism to be making money as like a, a marginalized person? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if it's
3: feminism. I know that it is progress. That's the only problem. Is like you know, is this like helping women across the you know the board? I don't know. I don't know that it's it's solving the patriarchy problem yeah.
1: <laughs> in any regard. And Tori, it seems like they're still hanging. Tori's out. great because it's marketing, and like she comes from a marketing yeah. background, so I do understand that it's mm-hmm. marketing. Yeah, in a lot of ways, she's brilliant. Right, but I just was curious. Yeah, about having a conversation with with a friend of mine who I know is smart, such mm-hmm. as yourself, who is you. uh, I, I know has been in internet feminism, I still have this weird thing where like, even when I see people who have like feminist in their bio, I kind of go like, oh, vintage. Like what, what sort of, what sort of 2014? Yeah. Like what sort of, Totally. but that's so wrong. I feel like because that person is actually probably doing good. You
3: know, but right. Or at least like w- willing to have a conversation with people who disagree with mm-hmm. them. It's just, it feels like almost like I want people to be comfortable at whatever level of understanding they're at. It is just sort of like watching your parents post something that, you know, has already been debunked, like, <laughs> you know, a mole and an eagle being friends on Facebook. And you're like, that's not real. It's like, <laughs> I know. thank
1: you for posting him
3: this, But like, we've moved forward. Like, you just don't know yet because you're not. <laughs> yeah. <online.
1: laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like a basic or like a nuanced I I don't know, because then I'm like, I don't have an opinion. Like, I'm so confused about like, is it good to make people rich or is the problem that like now these people, you know, it's like that liberal meme that made me laugh so hard, which was like liberals, more female guards at the camps. You know what I mean? Yes, like,
3: <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's so real. Like, I literally, uh, the story I could tell you about trying to pitch a show <laughs> with someone who thought that that was, that was uh, the perspective we had. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> I, Yeah,
1: but I think, and you know, I think oftentimes women of color are left out of that conversation. Or really? I would say specifically, like, women of color or, like, AFAB people of color, like, are just completely... Boy left out of the conversation, which is why when I see that specific trans woman of color thriving in a capitalist way, like, in a way that is showing off yeah, wealth, right. I feel fine about that.
3: <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm like, every time I post something that looks, like, a little bougie, I'm like, well, you know what? <laughs> my people were slaves. <laughs> like, I would love to be able to go back in time and be like, look at this iPhone mm-hmm. that I have in the future. <laughs> like, right. I, it, it gets better. <laughs> Not for you, but <laughs> for oh us. God. I can free them in in the scenario.
1: (laughs) They don't get to all come to 2021, although I will write that movie. Right? In a way, like, I want to work within the system for queer people and and Black women and things like that. But, like, I'm also like, ugh. But then it's like, should we all just band together and, like, burn everything to the ground? I don't
3: know. (laughs) Right. I mean, now we're talking about the greatest problem of our time, which is. The reality of the world versus the ideal reality that we are all yeah. striving for. And it's like, in, in reality, I don't believe that we're going to topple capitalism in my lifetime. And I'm sorry. And I'm not going to, I hope that we do. I really do. I hope that yeah. like, if it's climate change, if it's whatever, you know, yes. But something that my mother told me, that her mother told her, is like, hey, you think that you're going to stop it? We've been marching. Your grandma marched. Do you think that you have different shoes? Like, what is it? Wow. <laughs> So we can keep fighting for that reality, you know, in liberating people. However, it's like, is it progress to hold people down until we get to that point? Or is it like, okay, thrive within this until no one can thrive within this? Fine. Wow. It's hard. It's hard to say. I think that it's just a philosophical problem where it's like, if you are one of these lucky people to make money then please try to give back in a real way. Don't just throw like $100 at the Boys and Girls Club and be like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that game of Hungry Hungry Hippos <laughs> helps you kids like
1: learn to thrive. Like Ironic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You all are very hungry. At this point, Hungry Hungry Hippos, are you mocking me?
3: <laughs> exactly. It's a documentary about our lives. Why are you giving us this? But yeah, it's like, you know, just be be aware of your place in the world and like try to lift other people up. Like I do think that that's right. So it's like, you know, to your other guests, I'm glad that you're lifting other people up within a system that is oppressive, but the long game is absolutely like, Hey, no one is being liberated by this. Right. We're all just suffering a little less under this oppressive system. Yeah.
1: Wow. Thank you for coming on and like decompressing with me. I really appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, where can people find out more about you and your work and your book and everything?
3: Ooh, i mean i definitely would say follow me online the place i'm trying to leave desperately <laughs> <laughs> on twitter at akila obviously i'm on instagram at akila h a-k-i-l-a-h-h but yeah just stay tuned the next thing is soon but you know the the world is soon is how i feel
1: so right who knows the next thing is soon but could all be over we don't know <laughs> One is soon, oh right?
3: exactly we're all just holding on <laughs>
1: I shake off the ick of 2013 girl boss feminism I feel so outside of it as a non-binary person and I'm at a place right now where I'm like rethinking and reconfiguring all the deeper meanings of concepts that used to be so easy for me I think about it like my hair in 2015 when I believed I was a cis woman I basically had a shaved head and had no complicated feelings about it now my hair is very long and the whole idea of cutting it short again suddenly has so much more gravity I know more now My thoughts and decisions have more intention. I'm scared. I have no idea how to feel about financial feminism. I'd rather it exist than not exist. I think Tori's work is absolutely necessary, but I wanted to have Akilah on the show to speak to a skepticism that lurked in me and that might be lurking in my listeners and to present more than one voice on financial feminism. Thank you for joining me for all of these weeks as we rode through all of these topics. Cancel culture, eating disorders, home buying, covered call investing, racist and sexist dress codes. Holy hell, we had Elizabeth Warren on as a guest. Talk about a girl boss. I'm kidding, I'm I'm really kidding. It is an honor and a pleasure to make Bad With Money for you all. And I can't believe some of you have been around since day one in 2016 when we started this podcast and when we thought pussy hats were gonna take us to the White House Kill me. Anyway, we'll be back in about two weeks to begin season nine. In the meantime, please leave an Apple review or rating for this show. It helps us climb the charts. Maybe Bad With Money will skyrocket past Tori's Financial Feminist Podcast into the top ten. It won't, but maybe. Okay, talk to you all soon, probably in two weeks. Bye!